Welcome to Bethesda Broadcast, the podcast of Bethesda Church in Huron, South Dakota. Today we come to the third week in our series called Our All-Sufficient Savior. This week our focus is on the name Everlasting Father. Pastor Roy looks at what it means to, for God to be our Father. We encourage you to open up your Bibles and follow along. 25 years ago, they said the devil inhabits buses and PA systems. I want to add PowerPoint. <laughs> uh, Matt Turkelson came in and said, your PowerPoint is not working. It's showing one slide. And I'm like, well, it was showing a lot more slides on mine. And Anyhow, I don't know uh, if we're going to have that working or not. So my apologies for that. I'm not sure why it's not working, uh, but it's not at the moment. So. But nevertheless, uh, we do have God's Word to share with us today, and uh, I do hope that as we talk about adoring the Lord, we're going to talk about our everlasting Father today. Uh, It tells us in Isaiah 9, 6, as we've been working our way through that passage, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. And today we focus on Everlasting Father. And I'm kind of doing the same uh, outline. Um, Why do we need an Everlasting Father? Who is this Everlasting Father? And what does this Everlasting Father do? And the first thing we can see is we need an Everlasting Father is because we were created for a relationship with Him. We can see that all through the pages of Scripture, beginning in Genesis, in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, God wanted a relationship with them. And he told them what the stipulations of that relationship would be. Don't eat of the fruit of this one tree. You can eat of all the other trees. And when they uh, disobeyed God, they ate of the fruit, what happened? They separated themselves from God, but what did God do? Did God just write them off? No. He killed animals. He shed blood. So he could reconcile the relationship, he gave them garments from the animals to restore a relationship. That's the way he is. What about the Israelites when they were in the wilderness? What did God tell them to do so he could have relationship with them? He told them to build a tabernacle. And it was a portable tent. It was a portable tabernacle that they could take with them wherever they went for God's presence. Why? Because he wanted a relationship with them. That's what he wanted more than anything else. And we see over and over the Israelites sinning, God forgiving, the Israelites sinning, God forgiving. He wanted a relationship with them. And that's why in Genesis chapter 15, the Bible says he made a covenant with Abraham. The covenant was all about relationship, not rules, relationship. That's what he wanted with them. He pursued that relationship with them. Once they got to the promised land, what did he tell them to do? He told them to build a temple. Why? Because he wanted a relationship with his people. And our everlasting father, do we need a relationship with our everlasting father today? Well, look what happened with the Supreme Court. Look what's happening in our world with marriage. Look what's happening in our world with family. Do we need an everlasting father well, God wanted a relationship with them. He tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, God who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, is faithful. 
The Bible tells us in Genesis 5 that Enoch walked with God for 300 years. Do you know what it means when it means that somebody walks with God? It means they have a relationship with God. It tells us Noah in Genesis chapter 6 was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. We need an everlasting father. We need that relationship on a daily basis with this father. Fellowship means intimacy and communion, where I share my life with Christ. The second reason we need an everlasting father is because we have hurts and disappointments that only God can heal. Did you hear me? We have hurts and disappointments only God can heal. Hurts and disappointments are a part of life, and some of them can be very hard to heal from and get over. Sometimes our hurts come from our kids or our grandkids, or sometimes the hurt comes from what is done to our kids or our grandkids. And, and, and here's the deal. If we have hurt and disappointment, which we all do, if we do not deal with that with our everlasting Father to help us through it, we will become angry individuals, and that anger, if it is not dealt with, will turn to bitterness. Do you see any bitter people and angry people in our world today? And do you know why they're angry and bitter? Is because they've been hurt and they've been disappointed and they have not learned how to turn that over to an everlasting Father who wants to help them. An everlasting Father. I can tell you in the years that I've been in ministry, I'm not going to stand up here and just list all of them, I've got many hurts and disappointments in ministry. Many. You're like, really? Yeah, I do. And I share that with you to say that I am human and that I would be a very angry, bitter person if I did not take those hurts and disappointments to my everlasting Father. It is so crucial that we learn how to do that. He wants to carry that for us in our lives. Our hurts and disappointments. Our everlasting Father is there to be our shepherd, to care for us. And if we have the wrong response to hurt and disappointment, here's what you're going to have. You're going to have a path of broken relationships. The very thing that God came to redeem was relationships. Let me give you an example. Listen to these devastating results of living without depending on an everlasting father. I got this from fathers.com. There are more than 20 million children who live in a home without the physical presence of a father in this country over 20 million. What that means is this, one out of every three children in America will go to bed tonight in a home without the presence of a father. Now we talk about an everlasting father. What is going to be their concept of an everlasting father? What is going to be their understanding of an everlasting father? All they know is this father has abandoned them, has hurt them, has disappointed them. I'm here to tell us we have a heavenly father, an everlasting father who will never abandon us, never disappoint us, and that's the kind of father I need. That's the kind of father I need. Now, when I think about these numbers, it can be overwhelming. 
because it's a huge segment of our population, but let me just focus on one child for a moment. Five-year-old Christopher was standing outside the door of the church when his grandmother was inside serving people who needed clothes and bread. Standing there on the curb, enjoying the sunshine, waiting for his grandmother to finish, a strange man rides up to Christopher on a bike, and he begins to talk. The stranger begins his inquiry by asking Christopher, do you know who I am? With childlike honesty, Christopher tells the man, I don't know who you are. To which a stranger replied, I'm your biological daddy. Biological daddy? Christopher was thinking, what in the world is a biological daddy? The strangeness of this man's response prompted Christopher to call his grandmother. He said to her, Grandma, you need to come outside. There's a man out here who says he's my biological daddy. When his grandmother stepped out the door, sure enough, it was his biological father on a bike. She greeted him, and then the biological daddy took $5 out of his pocket, gave it to Christopher. He promised he would come by to visit him. Years have passed, however, and the man on the bike has not shown up again, absent. So there are many, many people in our world that look through that lens, at least over 20 million, and that will be their concept of an everlasting father because we get our concept of the father through our earthly father. And maybe you have an earthly father who abused you, who spoke down to you, who criticized you, who never complimented you, who was harsh toward you, who never expressed love to you and encouragement to you. I'm here to tell you, you have a wrong concept of the everlasting father if that's your concept of our father today. And you're going to see that because I'm going to show you the incredible love of this everlasting father. It's amazing when we think about it. And how am I going to do that? Well, I'm going to show us the devastating results of living as if we did not have an everlasting father. I want to show you from Scripture the characteristics of a prodigal nation. And by looking at the characteristics of the prodigal nation, I'm talking about Israel, we're going to see those same characteristics in our own country. We have become a prodigal nation in America. And it's time we come back to our everlasting Father. There is so much hurt in our world. The foundation, though, of the prodigal nation of Israel, the foundation of all their sin was breaking God's covenant. Now, what do I mean by covenant? They broke relationship with God. That is the foundation of all their sin. They did not obey their everlasting Father and give Him their undivided allegiance. If you want to take your Bibles for a moment, I'll give you just a quick review of this in 2 Kings chapter 17. We know from history that the Assyrians were threatening to attack Israel and ready to take over, and they did. The Assyrians did attack them and take over. But what were the reasons leading up to that? Why did God allow his people to be attacked and to be overcome? 
They brought it on themselves because they became a prodigal nation. And in this passage, we can see seven characteristics of a prodigal nation. The first one is found in 2 Kings 17, verse 7. It says, All this took place because the Israelites had sinned against the Lord their God, who had brought them up out of Egypt from under the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. They worshipped other gods. So the first characteristic is they engaged in idolatry. Now there's idolatry in our country, big time. There are people who are involved in worshiping other things other than God. They have an attachment or a devotion to something else other than God. That's idolatry. When I worship, serve, and love something more than I worship and serve and love God, that becomes an idol, no matter what it is. The second one is found in verse 8. The very next verse, he says, They followed the practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before them, as well as the practices that the kings of Israel had introduced. Number two, they followed pagan practices. And what were some of those pagan practices? Well, if we just go back one chapter, because it says they practiced uh, what the kings of Israel introduced. And if we go back one chapter, we see that King Ahaz who was one of the kings of Israel, in 2 Kings 16, verse 3, he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel and even sacrificed his son in the fire. Wow. We sacrifice our kids, but maybe it's not in the fire. We have lost the idea of an everlasting father. They had lost sight of an everlasting father who brought them out of Egyptian bondage into a promised land where they could live and experience freedom and life and joy. And what did they do? They abandoned their everlasting father. Thirdly, they practiced hypocrisy. Look down in verse 9. The Israelites secretly did things against the Lord their God that were not right. From watchtower to fortified city, they built themselves high places in all their towns. Hypocrisy is when you put a mask to cover up what you really are, who you really are. You, you have secret sin in your life. Maybe your family or friends don't know about it, but God does. It's under the radar to the public, but it's not under the radar of Almighty Everlasting Father. And that's what they did. They were a prodigal nation. They practiced hypocrisy. Fourthly, down in verse 10, go on. They set up sacred stones and Asherah poles on every high hill and under every spreading tree. They worshiped false gods. Do we have people in America who are worshiping money? Do we have people in America who are worshiping sports? Do we have people in America who worship video games? <laughs> I mean, other than God being on the throne of our life, do we have people who worship their family? I mean, these are questions that we ask. And then we go on to number five. Look at verse 11. At every high place they burned incense as the nations whom the Lord had driven out before them. They did wicked things that promote the Lord to anger. Number five, they performed wicked acts. And if we went back to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we would see one of the wicked acts is sexual immorality. 
is that rampant in our country? When we look at teen pregnancies and all the things that are happening in our world, yeah, it's rampant. Practicing wicked things. And I know these aren't pleasant things, but these are the things that a prodigal nation does. Number six is found in verses 13 and 14. The Lord warned Israel and Judah through all his prophets and seers, turn from your evil ways, observe my commands and decrees in accordance with the entire law that I commanded your fathers to obey and that I delivered to you through my servants the prophets, but they would not listen and were as stiff-necked as their fathers who did not trust in the Lord their God. Number six, they mocked God's messengers. Are there people mocking pastors, teachers of God's word? Well, our Supreme Court is mocking the Bible. One of the highest authorities in our land has mocked the word of God. Yes, we are a pagan nation. They did not trust, and notice what it says, they did not trust their, the Lord, their everlasting Father. And then number seven, if we go down a few more verses, verses 17. They sacrificed their sons and daughters in the fire. They practiced divination and sorcery and sold themselves to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, provoking him to anger. They were influenced by the occult. Sorcery, witchcraft, necromancy, Necromancy is communicating with the dead. I mean, they had moved so far. Now, let's try to understand this for a moment. They had an everlasting father who brought all these plagues on Egypt and delivered them. And now they're in this promised land and flowing with milk and honey and all the benefits and blessings of God that an everlasting father can provide. And what did they do? They rebelled against this everlasting father. Um... So what does God do? Well, let me move on before I say what does the Everlasting Father do. First of all, who is the Everlasting Father? And I would say two things. Number one, the Everlasting Father is the fulfillment of God's covenant. The Everlasting Father, Jesus here in this passage is considered the Everlasting Father. Even though he is the child who was born, he was the son who was given, he is the Everlasting Father. He is the one who loved us so much. He was the shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. He fulfilled the covenant to reconcile and redeem sinful man. These people who did all of this evil, all of these seven things, and Jesus still came and died on the cross so that we could be forgiven. The fulfillment of God's covenant. I can't think of a greater everlasting father who wants a relationship with me even though I'm a sinful, rebellious, wicked person. That's amazing to me. And secondly, he is patient and long-suffering. We see the Israelites again and again. God delivers them. God forgives them. And over and over and over, he is patient and long-suffering. And even after they went into captivity, Assyrian captivity, God comes and brings them out. They go into Babylonian captivity, and he delivers them out. I mean, does he want a relationship with us, this everlasting Father? He does. He absolutely does. 
What does this everlasting Father do? Let me mention some. Number one, this is astounding to me. He gives us the freedom to sin. Think about that. He doesn't force me to follow him. He doesn't force me to worship him. He doesn't force you to come to church this morning. We freely come to worship the everlasting Father, but you could be out doing something else. And you could be out doing something else every other week. You could be out making money. You could be out spending money. You could be out entertaining yourself. The everlasting Father gives us the freedom to commit sin. Did he do that with the Israelites? He absolutely did. He gave them the freedom to sin. Now let me tell you about another prodigal. He rescued a prodigal nation, but in Luke chapter 15, he rescued a prodigal son. One person. Same kind of love, same kind of care, same kind of concern. He's an everlasting father. But let me say this. We have the freedom to go anywhere we want to go, to do anything we want to do, whenever we want to do it, however we want to do it. God has given us all that freedom, but it does not mean there are no consequences. There are still consequences to our choices, if you will. Oh, they got it going there. So he gives me freedom to sin, but don't make the mistake of accepting God's grace as a license to sin. Because so many people do that. We see in Luke chapter 15, we see the story of the prodigal son who wanted to get all the wealth and everything that he had from his inheritance from his father. And he goes off to a distant country and the Bible says he lives in riotous living. And he chooses to do that. He's living high on the hog. I, didn't, I wasn't sure what that meant, so I had to look it up. So what does it mean to live high on the hog? I've heard that term all the time. It means that he was living on the prime cuts of meat, as it were, the high cuts, the shoulders, and the loin, not the pig's feet, not the junk parts of the pig. He was living high on the hog, the shoulders and the ham. But don't mistake our freedom to sin as a license to sin. God is there to shepherd us, to guide us. But the amazing thing to me is to look at the depth of their sin in light of the incredible love of God. The contrast is incredible. So we see even with the prodigal son, God giving freedom to this prodigal to sin. You may be living in sin today and feel like maybe you're getting away with it because of God's grace, but there will be a judgment day coming. The everlasting Father will bring judgment. I've got to turn this on. He orchestrates events to get my attention. If you flip over to Luke chapter 15, in the story of the prodigal son... It says, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. Now, why did that famine happen to come up when he happened to run out of money? You think God had anything to do with that? I think he had everything to do with that. He orchestrates events in our life 
to get our attention. Why? Because he loves us that much. He cares about us that much that he will orchestrate the events in my life to get my attention, and he has certainly done that in my life in the past. It reminds me of the employee who found himself in a tight spot, and his name was Sam. And everybody except Sam at the small company where he worked signed up for a new pension plan in which the employees would be required to contribute a small amount every pay period, but the company would pay all other amounts and fees. There was just one catch to the plan. For it to be implemented, they had to have 100% involvement, employee participation. People tried everything to get Sam to sign up. His fellow workers alternately pleaded with him and chided with him. His boss tried to persuade him, but Sam wouldn't budge. He was not going to give up one single cent out of his paycheck. Finally, the company president called Sam to his office. He said, Sam, here's a copy of the new pension plan, and here's a pen. You can sign the papers or you can start looking for a new job because you're fired. Sam signed the papers without hesitation. Now, said the president, why couldn't you sign them before? Well, sir, replied Sam, nobody explained it to me quite like that before. <laughs> now you think about this. The prodigal son goes out and he spends his money and he lives a riotous, horrible life. He's eating with the pigs. Do you think that had more impact on him than going to hear someone speak in a synagogue? I will guarantee you it did. He could have heard a whole series of messages about sin, about God's love, and it would have never sunk in at all. God had to get him down low enough to turn up the volume in his hearing. That's what God does in our lives. Because he is an everlasting father, he will get our attention. That's how much he loves us and cares about us. And that goes into my next point. Well, actually, I meant this first. Psalm 119.71, it was good for me, the psalmist said, to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. Did you understand what he said? It was good for me to go through a painful situation. In other words, God used pain to teach me. I know he's used it in my life. I don't like it very much. But boy, has he ever used pain in my life. Those are the lessons that stick, right? They stick. And he said, it was good for me to be afflicted, that I had a painful situation so I could learn God's decrees. The prodigal learned about God's decrees through affliction. And so do we. But that's how much God loves us. And that brings me to the next point. He loves me with an incomprehensible love. We just looked at a prodigal nation, and we looked at a prodigal son, and it was God's incomprehensible love that drew that nation back to him. It was God's incomprehensible love that drew the prodigal son back to him. I mean, if we look in Luke chapter 15, look over with me. In verse 18, I will set out and go back to my father, and we can say everlasting father, 
and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. He smelled like a pig. And God said, come here, son. Come here, son. It's so good to have you home. I've missed you. Why? Because he wants a relationship with us. And sin separates that relationship. And God wants to be related to us in a deep, personal, intimate way. That's what an everlasting father does. He cares for his children. You will look over, if we had time to go back in the Old Testament, look at some of the passages of Scripture. He calls Israel his son. He says, it's my, they're my, it's my son. And yet, look how they acted. And yet, his still, his compassionate, consuming, pursuing love was relentless. And so it is toward us. We cannot begin to grasp the depth of our everlasting Father's love for us. I'm reminded of the words of this old hymn, I found a friend. Listen to these words. I found a friend, oh, such a friend. He loved me ere I knew him. He drew me with the cords of love, and thus he bound me to him. And round my heart still closely twine those ties which not can sever. For I am his, and he is mine forever and forever. I found a friend, oh such a friend. And listen what this friend did. He bled, he died to save me. And not alone the gift of life, but his own self he gave me. Not that I have my own I call, I hold it for the giver. My heart, my strength, my life, my all are his and his forever. I found a friend, oh such a friend, so kind and true and tender. So wise a counselor and guide, so mighty a defender. From him who loves me now so well, what power my soul can sever. Shall life or death or earth or hell, no, I am his forever. Because he's the everlasting father. There is no rule, it says, of the increase of his government, there will be no end. Nobody is going to dethrone this heavenly father. This earthly father. He will be there forever. His, the dominion of his reign is forever, the Bible says. What else does he do for us? He grants me indescribable forgiveness. We look at that list from a prodigal nation. We look at the prodigal son and how he lived. And yet when he came back, the father said, oh, no, wait a minute. Let me see a little proof here. No. He saw the humility. He said, Father, I have sinned. I'm no worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. That's what he was thinking. The father knew it. And he saw the brokenness and the humility. He saw the sorrow over his sin. He saw him humble himself and acknowledge his wrong, that he had wasted and, and listen, he wasted his father's inheritance. That's pretty crucial, isn't it? Do you know how hard fathers have to work to get an inheritance? <laughs> how hard did our everlasting father have to work to get our eternal inheritance? This hard. 
He hung on a cross to give me an eternal inheritance. Forgiveness. He grants indescribable forgiveness. He tells us in Colossians 1, 13 and 14, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. If we confess our sins, the Bible says he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And do you know what? I committed sin this week. Did you? You say, oh my, I can't wait to get out of here and tell everybody the pastor committed sin. You've got to write that one down. <laughs> this isn't the only week I've sinned. But I have an everlasting father. I have an advocate with the father who says, Father, forgive me for the rotten attitude I had. Father, forgive me for the thoughts we can sin in our mind. And yet he grants indescribable forgiveness. It's incredible. He exercises inscrutable judgment. What do I mean by that? We can't understand his judgment. It is beyond explanation. But we know this, that his judgment is just and faithful and good. Even in my own life, sometimes I haven't understand what God was trying to do. And yet he is so faithful. Here's what I mean. He knows when to discipline me. He does. He knows when to discipline me. He knows how much discipline I need. The everlasting Father's discipline, listen to this, the everlasting Father's discipline is designed to leave a lasting impression on me. What is the purpose of his discipline? I think it's two things. It is corrective and instructive. Corrective to correct wrong behavior in me, wrong attitudes, wrong desires, wrong passions. He wants to correct that, and he also wants to instruct me to make me mature in Christ. And so it's maturing me. It's growing me. I don't want to come to church and be the same next December that I am this December. God is not interested in that. A few weeks ago, we talked about spreading the aroma of Christ. Remember that? He wants us to be more effective in spreading the aroma of Christ, but it will only become when we understand his correction and his instruction in our life as the everlasting father that he is. I love this third verse, to come thou fount of every blessing. Listen to these words. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, O oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. And the one thing we have to remember is that discipline hurts. I remember when we used to discipline our boys when they were young and they had to bend over the bed and get to that bare skin. And I said, this is going to hurt. And it's supposed to. Why? Correction. 
instruction. But how? In love. That's how our Father does. That's what He did with a prodigal nation. And that's why I think that America, as a prodigal nation, we are going to face the discipline and the judgment of God. Even though we have an everlasting Father, we have turned our back on our everlasting Father. And yet He is standing there waiting, calling us back, like He did the prodigal son. He would run to America if we would run back to Him and say, Father, we have sinned. We are no longer worthy to be called your children. Please forgive us and bring us back. That's why we need an everlasting Father. Because He wants relationship with us. Let's stand for a word of prayer. I would ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. I hope that you and I will grasp in a little greater way why we need an everlasting Father. He wants relationship with us. We live in a broken world. We face hurts and disappointments that only the everlasting Father can heal. Maybe you're here this morning and you have a hurt or a disappointment in your life that you have not given to the everlasting Father. I want to invite you, I want to encourage you to give that hurt and disappointment to your everlasting Father. And this won't be the last time you have to do it. But he's there waiting with open arms just like he did for the prodigal nation of Israel and just like he will do for a prodigal child. Prodigal son, prodigal daughter. Maybe you're here today and you don't know the everlasting Father. You don't have a relationship with him. You are living in rebellion to him. In fact, you could identify with some things on the list that was true of the prodigal nation. Would you come to the everlasting Father? He will meet you where you are. Will you give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ and begin to live for Him? Maybe you have secret sin in your life that no one knows about, no family, no friends. I want you to know you have an everlasting Father who will forgive you of your sin. But he wants to save you out of your sin and deliver you from your sin and not allow you to be comfortable in your sin. Because remember, the everlasting Father gave his life for sin and therefore he hates it. But I'm so thankful that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Is he orchestrating some events in your life to maybe show you something of yourself to him? Would you listen to that? Would you be reminded of the incomprehensible love that God has for every one of us? None of us can measure up to the standard that God has set forth in his word. But he gives us the righteousness of Christ as we submit to him. 
If you have a spiritual need in your life, I'll be available. Shaking hands at the back door after the service. I'd be glad to pray with you, to meet with you. Um, Let's talk to our everlasting Father. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.